I got hit out of nowhere from my right side by what felt like a bus. Um, I got thrown off my surfboard and before I can actually figure out what's going on, I, I look down and there's a shark biting my, my left leg. And for me, this, this moment is where time you know, stops, it freezes. And this is my, my moment that a lot of other people who've been through something significant where they say that, you know, the next five seconds feels like five minutes. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Nothing is more powerful than a second chance at life. Turning the worst day of your life into your best is no easy feat, but sometimes there is simply no other option. In Brett Connellan's case, this day included the moment every surfer's worst nightmare becomes a reality when he was attacked by a great white shark. As the light was fading at Bombo Beach on the evening of March 30th, 2016, Brett was inches from death. He had lost three quarters of his left quad and emergency responders on the scene were sure Brett would make it. Fortunately, the cards fell in Brett's favor and he managed to pull through with the help of a brave friend, timely emergency support, and a healthy serving of luck. The events that saved Brett's life were not lost upon him, and that perspective was needed as he faced a long and challenging road to recovery. With a bleak outlook prescribed to him by doctors, it was evident that Brett's life as he knew it would never be the same. Now, these moments in time are pivotal in any person's life as they often lead to questioning purpose, identity. Up till then, Brett, all he did was surf. However, what Brett did not know at the time was that following months were even more life-changing than just the injury itself. The recovery forced Brett to climb a new mountain, in his words, and develop a different mindset towards resilience which helped him defy the odds to be able to walk again and eventually get back in the water and do now what he loves doing the most. Although the story may sound perfect, it was only the beginning. Brett soon realized that the lessons he learned through his recovery, he needed to apply to all areas of his life. This has pushed him to be the best version of himself, both personally and professionally. And this new version of Brett, fueled by purpose, drives him to use his powerful story to help others make the most of their journey. Now, Brett's experience is going to be chronicled in a documentary, which is called Pyrophytic. It is a really interesting name. I suggest to those that don't know what that means to look it up because it's a pretty cool name. His journey and the journey of those that were close to him are documented in this film, and it uh, it's quite powerful. The trailer's out. Now, Brett is back in the water. He's doing what he does best. He has changed his relationship to surfing. In fact, before the film is released, he's going to do a 52-kilometer paddleboard from Molokai to Oahu, and the event takes participants through waters exposed to massive swells and heavy current. So this is a story about reinvention. What happens when our identity and what we thought our purpose is shattered in an instant? 
how do we pick ourselves up and how do we reorientate ourselves to a new purpose, leveraging the strength of our experience and being resilient? I leave you in the capable hands of Brett. Peace out, folks. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Brett, welcome to the Ultra Habits. Uh, so welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. Hopefully, uh, hopefully kicking the year off strong, right? Mm, mm. Are you surfing today? Uh, there's actually waves around, so yeah, I think I will uh, at some stage. But I've I've been in the water the last couple of days, and it's been good. So it's probably probably nice to have a morning off and let the arms rest a little bit. But mm. I'll definitely be out there later on for sure. Yeah, I can see the surfboard in the background. So yeah, so let's jump into your story, man. Give our audience a flavor, Brett, of where you're from and how and where you grew up, man. Yeah, so I. Uh, grew up in a town called Kayama. I still live there today, uh, despite having tried to move away a few times. I've I've always come back, and that's kind of that's kind of the town that it is. Uh, very small, and I think that's one of the things that I really like about it. Like everyone kind of knows everyone, and that's that's something that I enjoy. I think some people don't like that, but that community aspect is something that I've always valued a lot. Uh, something that you know came to help me later on in my life massively, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about, but um yeah grew up here and became a surfer at a fairly young age not as young as what people are starting to surf now you see kids out there when they're like two three years old um i started when i was 11 uh, which gave me a lot of time to learn to love the sport i think i came into it at a good time where i'd played a lot of other sports and as soon as i stepped on a surfboard just something different about it how it wasn't it wasn't a team environment it wasn't something where you're relying on someone else to do something it was something where it's just you and the ocean and what you can do out there. And that's something I really liked, uh, mainly as that point of difference. But it's something that I very early on realized that I wanted to have as a major part of my life. Um, there's so many aspects of surfing that I loved. And it turned out I was pretty good at it as well, which, which obviously helps. So I spent a lot of my younger years um, chasing you know, the dream that every young surfer has of becoming a professional, you know, making it onto the world tour. Cause that's kind of the pinnacle, I suppose. And it's something that a lot of people have, but it's something that's difficult to live out as a reality. There's only 34 people in the world that get to do it. But you know, as a young surfer, it's like in most other sports, you look at the, the top and you always kind of dream of being there. And for me, I spent, you know, the next, you know, 12 years of my life um, really just chasing surfing and making that a huge part of of me and and what i was about like surfing it wasn't just something that you know i enjoyed doing it was something that i was good at like i said surf competitively for a number of years um, my first job was as a surf instructor uh you know i worked in a surf shop managed a surf shop shaped my own surfboards um for a little bit there uh, even went and did surfing studies at university so um you can you can kind of tell that surfing was a, a really really big part of my life and um, ultimately you know that was kind of what was changed massively um, you know I suppose we can kind of jump right into my story and and say that there was one day or one impact that really changed my life forever um, it did happen be, whilst, before we before yeah. we jump into that I'm gonna unpack a little bit about your relationship with with surfing. Cool. Um, let's do that. So surfing is an interesting sport in the sense that so much of your 
your your performance and your ability to evolve as a surfer, I would imagine, is dependent on a lot of external conditions, like where you live, how good the water is, how good the surf is. What's that like in in relation to when you look at other sports that you might have played? You're effectively, you know, every morning you might wake up with this raring to go into the water and have a really good surf, but there's so much beyond your control. Yeah. That's, What's the experience with that? That's something that makes it difficult. Um, I mean, with with surfing and trying to battle with those third party elements like the waves and the weather and and all of that it's it is funny and like you said there you can wake up one morning and you can be you know raring to go you you want to go surf and get down to the beach and it's dead flat or the wind's wrong or there's so many things where you your expectations can just be immediately you know punched in the gut and you have to realize that that is a part of surfing uh it's something that i i've kind of realized in being a surf coach and teaching other people especially when you're learning when you have all the enthusiasm for it and you want to just go out there every single day. But when you're learning, you can't surf every single day. You kind of need specific conditions and you have to be patient. So I think most of all, it does teach you a lot of patience when it comes to finding the right conditions and waiting and making the most of it when it's there. Like one thing I always say about surfing is it's, I think when you do have a good surf or you get a good wave, the reward for all of those things coming together makes it feel a lot different to, you know, going down to, I don't know, there's so many different examples of other sports that are very different. My dad used to explain it to me like this and always used to explain why surfing was so difficult. He used to say that it's not like a a sport like tennis where you've got a court and you've got an opponent and, you know, you're, you're just playing rally by rally. When one rally finishes, you start the next one. He's like, it's like, with with tennis you're you're playing not only against someone else and trying to be the best version of yourself on the tennis court but the tennis court's not the same every time you step onto it tennis court might be bigger it might be smaller the lines might be completely different to what it was yesterday and then most of all that tennis court is moving at all times so you've got to try and almost catch the tennis court before you can play a rally so there's a lot of different factors that go into having a successful surf, which allows you to get better and allows you to improve. And I think that's something that really drew me to it. And like I said, compared to all the other sports that I played, like I played soccer, tennis is one of the ones I played. I played a lot of other sports when I was younger, you know, basketball, baseball, like I played everything. And as soon as I picked up surfing, I realized it was so different. And I actually dropped all the other sports that I was doing and, and just really focused in on that. It, it would it would seem to become very good or excellent in surfing. You would have to make yourself available, right? Like I think you have to kind of go all in, right? Because of the variability in terms of what the day may give you, right? So like you kind of almost have to be surfing every day, right? If you plan on getting to that elite level, was that was that right? Yeah, because that, that's the other side of things. Once you once you do get better, and it's not so much conditions that you're that are good for you. Like you can kind of surf in anything, especially if you've got the equipment and the the drive to actually be able to go out and do it. You just find yourself forcing you know yourself to go and surf it when it's not as good, 
And that's tough because, you know, when waves are good, how much easier it is and how much more fun you have. But you kind of, like you said, you have to be available. You have to surf every single day. And that's another thing that I came to realize later on is that surfing is a very selfish sport. Like it's something where you have to put a lot of time into like you, when you go for a surf, it's not something you do for 20 minutes. You go for you know two to three hours and that two to three hour window can be at any point during the day. And, you know, on top of that and having other commitments that you might have to, you know, push aside if you're doing it seriously, it's selfish when you're actually in the water. Like it's one of those sports where you're out there and you want to catch the best wave. Like if you see someone else on a good wave, you can be happy for them, but you wish it was you. And I think that's something that I, I realized later on and I think is a very unique thing about surfing. Um, there's a lot of other sports where you can see someone do something good and you can go and try it. But with surfing, you kind of need the wave. You, know, you need to be in the spot. And a big part of that comes down to being pretty self-centered out there. And I think that's a tough thing for a lot of people to, to do. Um, and you see a lot of people come up that don't have that uh, that don't have, it's almost like a, a drive type of thing. Like when I go for a surf, I'm out there and I'm trying to catch every single wave and there's other people that are happy to sit there. And for me, it's sometimes I'm, I'm like, I wish I could just sit there and chat to people and, and enjoy it. <laughs> but for, for people who do take it very seriously, it can be a, a very isolating type of sport. So surfers aren't as laid back as we all think, are they? I don't, I don't think so. Not, not compared to what a lot of people thought, you know, when surfing was starting to become more mainstream. It's an interesting point. One, uh, in endurance sport as an ultra endurance runner, I can say the same thing. And hence why, especially with young kids, I don't like being out there for too long because I feel guilty. You know, you're going on these runs for three, four, five, six hours. And, you know, at home you've got stream screaming kids. And I think, in any individual pursuit, particularly with sport, tends to have more features that are geared towards selfishness. Mm. And because it's about your performance. And that's an interesting call out that with surfing, you're fighting for the wave, right? So it breeds a certain type of competitiveness and requires an individual to be geared a certain way to get very good at it, right? You got to have a crack and you got to be willing to push and and so that's an interesting observation. So let's let's now move to March 2016. I think it's the March 30th. What what's going on? What happened that day? Give us give us the you know, the play by play. The play by play. Um, it's actually a, a funny thing. Like I always start this story by saying it was it was just like any other day, except it wasn't. Um, you know, for for me waking up that day it was actually different to most other days I'd wake up because I got a call from my boss at the surf shop I was working at saying the shop had been broken into. This is a call at like 2.30 in the morning. So that's a different way to start a day. And, you know, when people look back at, you know, life-changing moments or days, you can always pick out little moments that might hold some sort of significance that, you know, this isn't going to be like any other regular day. But, you know, for, for me, that day basically is consisted of, dealing with the shop break-in, you know, cleaning up glass, talking to the police, doing all that sort of stuff. So it really was a regular day. I was just out there doing my job. And when I finished work, I decided to go for a surf. Uh, surfing for me, apart from being all of those 
things competitively and where I put a lot of my drive into, it's still a happy place for me. Being in the ocean is somewhere that still calms me down and it's somewhere that I enjoy being. So if I've had a bad day or if you know I've got things going on, I always can count on surfing to be that environment where I can go and be myself. So after that day that I had, I decided that I, I needed to to do that. So the place I grew up surfing, um, Bombo Beach uh, in Kiama, spent you know surf thousands and thousands of times out there. That's where I decided to go. There's no thought that goes into where I surf that afternoon. Um, I go down there, call my good friend Joel. Uh, and just tell him I was going to go out there. Joel's one of my good friends um, that I call most times I go for a surf. Uh, a little bit less now. He's He's got a, a kid and and has other other commitments. As you said, it's uh, something that you, you find a little bit harder to be away from. But he he's an interesting person because I'll call him to go for a surf a lot of the times. And he's one of those people. And everyone has a friend like this that either you call them to do something, they'll show up late or like halfway through it, or they'll just not show up at all. Like I'm sure everyone has this person in their life and Joel's that person for me. Um, and he was like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll come down. We we're going to go down to the river and go for a swim. Um, Cause he was with his hanging out with his partner that day. He's like, but we'll, we'll come down to the beach anyway. So I went down to Bombo and was just surfing by myself for about 30 minutes before Joel actually came down. So that's you know, the, the type of late person he is. That was actually a pretty good day for him getting down there 30 minutes later. Um, and we were just surfing together once he'd paddled out. We were surfing for about 30 minutes. Um, again, just sharing waves, enjoying the session. And we were sitting a little bit further down the beach um, just so we could have some waves to ourselves. There was actually quite a few people out that day, but we found a, a little peak where we could just sit there and, and kind of just be to our, ourselves. Um, and Joel had caught a wave. He was about you know, 100 meters down the beach and I was kind of just sitting out the back by myself reflecting on like the day that I'd had kind of going through you know the the break-in what I'd done and kind of saying to myself like you know for the bad day that I've had at least I've been able to come down I've been able to have a surf and I feel a lot better and as, as I was having that thought you know looking back at the beach as the sun was just starting to set um, behind Saddleback Mountain here like a really beautiful afternoon and I got hit out of nowhere from my right side by what felt like a bus. Um, I got thrown off my surfboard and before I can actually figure out what's going on, I, I look down and there's a shark biting my, my left leg. And for me, this, this moment is where time you know, stops, it freezes. And this is my, my moment that a lot of other people who've been through something significant where they say that you know, the next five seconds feels like five minutes. And this is just your body going into fight, flight, or freeze. Um, you know, it's, it's an information gathering exercise. So for me, that's why it's such an incredible five seconds, which feels like five minutes because I'm taking in so many little things like looking down at the shark that's biting my leg. And I think a lot of people expect the first thing to go through your mind is to you know, shout for help or, you know, what a lot of people say, which is you know, punch the shark. Like everyone knows that if, you know, you, you get bitten by a shark, you're supposed to poke them in the eyes or punch them. But before I can even think about doing that, time's just stood still. And, you know, I'm taking in, you know, the, the feel of the shark's skin as I'm kind of trying to push it away. I'm taking in the fact that, you know, there's no sound. Like I, I know, found out later on that I was screaming for help. But in that moment, there's just no sound. It's just me and this shark. And, 
the other thing that I can take in is the look in its eyes. Like it had no emotion. It was just two eyes of this apex predator that's doing what it's done for millions of years. And in a strange way, like this moment can be a terrifying image, but it has actually given me a lot of respect for sharks and just how good they are at what they do. Like I look at sharks now and and know how they've been around for millions of years. Like it's, they are incredible creatures. And, you know, that picture, that image in, in my mind is one that I think a lot of people would think brings a lot of fear, but I think it's more respect. So as I'm taking in all this information, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about fight, flight or freeze is freeze is what I was going through then. It's not a final decision. Like freeze is just fight or flight on hold. It is that information gathering exercise so you can figure out what to do. Um, and for me, I got to the point where that thing in my head clicks and it's like fight, I'm supposed to punch it. You can't punch through water though. It's near impossible. So the only thing left for me to do is is to try and get away from it. It's, you know, the flight part of the, of that response. And for me, that meant just trying to pull away from the shark. Um, it was holding onto my leg. Um, and me pulling away from it is what did most of the damage. So, you know, the unfortunate thing for us as humans is we're pretty fragile, like this body that we're, we've been inhabiting. It's, it's not that strong in all reality. Um, when you, decide to pull away from a shark that's holding onto your leg it just separates that bit of skin from your body um their shit teeth are so sharp it's it's a really incredible thing again to look back on and, and kind of have that almost respect for just how efficient they are were you feeling pain no pain at all so when i suppose you're in those moments and there's so much adrenaline there's yeah there's no pain i didn't feel pain for minutes after that um, not, not until I could actually try and reflect. So pulling away from the shark, separating that large chunk from my leg actually did allow me to have a bit of a window to try and escape and swim towards the beach. And I'd only gotten about 15 meters in just only looking at the beach, trying to paddle or trying to swim as fast as I could. Cause I wasn't with my board. And I had a thought kind of wash over me, which is, I think only a natural, you know, I've been bitten once. Is this thing going to come back a second time? And I looked back over my shoulder just in time to see it coming back and was able to put my hands out to try and stop it. Um, my right hand actually landed pretty well on its nose. My left hand went into its mouth and I lost some skin off my hand and, and wrist and was able to get it out just before it bit down. But it pushed me through the water for the next 20 meters or so with so much power. And here I am again, kind of. You mean you of, have your hand on its face and it's pushing yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, towards we, the beach towards the beach which is the <laughs> best direction for it to be pushing me um but again kind of in a situation where i don't know what to do there's you know i can't really say right, i can try and pull away from it now because i don't know what's going to happen next and luckily i can see a wave approaching and i think my only kind of window for escape is when this wave hits us i can try and push the shark to the side and hopefully, you know, get all jumbled up in the whitewash and, and hopefully get separated from it then. And that's what I did in that moment. And luckily the wave was pretty solid and actually pushed me in a little bit more. And I helped, felt the shark actually hit me one more time underwater from the side. But by the time I came up after that wave, I was actually standing up on, on the sandbank. It was about waist deep water. So I'd actually been pushed in quite a way, which is, is good news. Uh, and then I look up again. And 
luckily this time it's not the shark coming back. It's my mate, Joel. Uh, he's paddling towards me as, as fast as he can. He'd obviously heard me shouting for help and had seen that danger and, and decided to paddle towards me, which is something that I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful for because without him there, um, I wouldn't have been able to make it to the beach. Like he put me on his surfboard. He took me back to the beach. And by the time we got to the sand, I could not move anymore. Like I'd lost a lot of blood by then. I was in shock and I couldn't even lift my arms up. So he's dragged me up the beach and then run off to get some help. Um, and that kind of left me laying, you know, by myself again, trying to reflect on what had just happened. And this is kind of where the pain starts kicking in because for me, I was like, okay, I know I've been bitten by a shark. I decided very early on I didn't want to look down at my leg because I didn't want to go into further shock and lose more blood. Uh, but I was kind of trying to survey the the whole experience and knew it was serious. Like I knew it was it was something that was kind of leaving me on the, the brink of life and death. And that's when you have that thought of, is this what it feels like to die? Because knowing that, you know, I can't move, I'm in shock, I've lost a lot of blood. I didn't know what, I didn't know what comes next. Like there's nothing I can do in this situation to make it better. And I was just lucky that in that time when Joel had run off to get help that I'd kind of waited up and said, well, there's, there's nothing I can do. It is out of my control, but the only thing I can really do here is stay present and focus on my breathing. Something about that moment didn't feel like it was like my time was about to be up. Something didn't feel right about that. So it made it a bit more, e like a little bit easier to focus on those things that I could do. And I think this is where a lot of luck starts to kick into these situations. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, those, those millimeters. And for me, it literally was millimeters and it was these small things that come into play. And one of the biggest ones there was, um, first of all, Joel being there. Second of all, his partner, which he'd come down to the beach to, to watch him surf, which never happens. She's an intensive care nurse. Wow. So one of the first people to come and, and see me and, you know, go and get that, that other help was knew what she was doing. She was trained. She was qualified. Joel did a great job with the tourniquets as well. And there was another nurse that was walking along the beach at that time to come and help. So again, you go from wondering if you're about to die and then having all of these amazing things happen that kind of make you think about, well, this is crazy that, you know, I was you know just about to be, lights out and now there's all these things kind of pulling in my direction and luckily everyone on the beach did did the right thing that day uh and they stabilized me on the beach applied tourniquets um stopped the bleeding until i was airlifted to st george hospital up in sydney so um really lucky to have those people there was other luck that that came into it like the shark missing my femoral artery and this is by a millimeter and where they talk about millimeters if that was the case, then I wouldn't have even made it to the beach. So these small little bits of luck that saved my life that day are something I look back on and, and reflect on all the time and always grateful for, you know, Joel and, and his partner, Aggie and, and John, the other nurse that were on the beach and everyone else that helped because without them, you know, I definitely wouldn't be here telling the story today. Yeah. What a remarkable tale. Um, and there's so much in those few minutes of what was going through your mind at that point of attack through to you getting to the beach. I mean, like a whole, a whole book could be written on that very short space and time. Right. And, um, 
Wow, it's remarkable. So you get to the hospital, you no doubt go into intensive care and get surgery and the, and the help which is required. What do the doctors tell you that your life is going to look like after? Like, what's the, what's the diagnosis for you, particularly with surfing? Yeah, so it kind of happened in a few stages. Like, first of all, it was going through the extent of the injury. Um, so I ended up losing three quarters of my left quad um, as a result of pulling away from that shark. Uh, which, you know, anyone who knows much about the human body knows that the quad is a very, very significant muscle. Um, and without it, it's very hard to do a lot of things. Um, their immediate, I suppose, priorities were trying to save the leg. So amputation was a real, uh, it was a real option at the start. Um, they were trying to weigh out how much damage had been done to the bone and, and everything around it. Because you know, they they were sort of thinking if there's been too much damage done, then it's easier to amputate it and it's a quicker recovery. And that's something that actually really scared me, um, which I think is a pretty understandable response. But they did a lot of research. I didn't get those surgeries straight away. Um, I didn't actually get a surgery until uh, five days into my, my wow. hospital stay. Oh, it's three days. Sorry, three days. Um, I had two where they just cleaned it out and had a look, and then they'd actually done a little bit more research and tried to figure out what they could do to not only save the leg, but give me the chance to use it later on. Um, so what they ended up doing was they took my left lat muscle from my back and actually implanted that in my leg. Um, a big part of that was just to cover the bone that was exposed um, to keep that alive so it wouldn't have to be amputated further down the track. Um, they connect the blood supply through that um, muscle to keep it alive and connect a nerve, which they hope will make it work later on. Uh, but having a back work as a quad isn't really the the best solution. It's just all they could really do in that situation. And that's kind of what led to that long longer term prognosis, which is is what you were, I suppose, asking the question and talking to doctors, they weren't overly optimistic, as doctors tend to be, um, especially in you know big cases like this. They said because of the massive damage to your leg, they're like walking is gonna be a challenge. And when I hear that, I'm like, well, this, this is like a, a really big change to my life. You know, I was sort of thinking about being in a wheelchair for a very long time. And they said, you know, definitely being in a wheelchair for a long time, like walking on crutches is, you know, expected. But they said, you know, best case scenario is you'll probably have a device or a prosthetic on your knee that actually straightens it out and performs the function of that quad so you can get around and walk. So because of that, you know, running and being active is going to be a massive challenge for you. And as they're going through these things, I can, I'm just asking myself now, I'm like screaming at them, like, what about surfing? Like this thing that I've always done, I've always loved. It's my entire life. As I said at the start, it's everything I did. They get to surfing they said, surfing's going to be off the cards. Like the damage that you've had, you, you know, walking is going to be enough of a challenge. You basically should, you know, not even think about surfing as being an option. So at, at no point did you get consumed with fear of water or fear of sharks no no not not for a, a very long time um for me the immediate sort of days was more just a, about trying to get back to a, a regular quality quality of life like i'd never been been like oh i don't want to go back in the water like even from a very early stage i think and especially especially after getting that prognosis from the doctors 
a big part of me was like, I want to get back in the water and surf. Like I want to be able to do this thing that I've been told that I can't do. And that comes with its challenges. Like the, the next couple of months going through rehab, it was really just the basic things. And it's hard to go through basic things like learning to walk again when you have these grand ambitions of being able to get back in the water and surfing. Like it's, it's something that gives you a massive reality check and it really makes you actually take in the whole situation and be humble for it because, you know, you can't just run out there and try and surf again because it's just not going to happen. And, and that's something that I learned over the next, you know, coming months going through that process of rehabilitation and recovery because it was really just the small steps. Like it was just, okay, we, we need to first of all, get out of bed and, you know, get up on a, a walking frame just to be vertical. Like I wasn't able to wait bare for, you know, a month. And it went from steps like that to, you know, slowly taking a few steps on crutches and, and just slowly progressing. Um, and having patience for something like that is, is something that I've not, ever really been good at um and especially you know i throughout that whole time was like i want to get back in the water i want to surf i want to go and do these things i want to you know prove everyone wrong and it was tough like for for me that was the the hardest period of my life is is going through that that rehab and and trying to be patient with it and trying to be slow and it's not something that i've ever had to do before and a big part of that whole situation the toughest thing was just i suppose a, a fear of failure um maybe not being able to surf again like what was life going to look like if i couldn't do those things i think there's an interesting piece in your story and it comes up with a lot of our guests is this concept of your identity and who you are tied up in your surfing and i, I think to to quote yourself you were you said you were forced to look at climbing a new mountain right so developing a different mindset around what you're going to do and who you are how did that evolutionary process happen like so you're in this fuck like oh shit moment i may never get to surf again and you're kind of having this this crisis, obviously, like, how did you get to this place then of realizing that you're, you're going to have to evolve? Hey, guys, it is RJ here. And we wanted to take a hot minute to thank you for all your continued support of the show. We truly do love you guys, man, and value all the support you have given us over those last two seasons so we want to make our impact more direct for you so do this screenshot this episode and make a post and tag us at ultra habits use hashtag ultra habits and we will give you not only a shout out on the following episode but i will follow up with you for a 10 to 15 minute conversation to talk about habits and what you can do to make your habits much more impactful in your life anyways we're going to leave you back in the capable hands of the guest enjoy the rest of the show peeps yeah it's it was tough like for for me, the hardest thing about going through that is I hadn't been there before. Like I'd never been at, you know, in a situation in life where I'd, I'd lost so much. Like I'd, you know, up until that point had a 
pretty good run. And sitting there like in hospital, you do feel very alone. And one of the biggest things that I say in that evolutionary process was the support that I needed. Uh, like I said, growing up in a small town, that support was something that helped me massively. It was my my friends, my family members. It was the surfing community actually worldwide for something that I kind of wrote off as being a selfish sport before. Having everyone kind of reach out and know, you know, I suppose what surfing means to someone and everyone kind of being like, you can do it, you can get back in the water. It was a, a really big thing for me. But because it didn't come straight away and I didn't know how long it was going to be before I got back in the water, rather than focusing on the person that I was before, I kind of needed to separate myself a little bit from that. So I needed to almost have this different identity through my recovery where I focused on other things in life. And it was actually one of the best things that I could have done because it really took my mind off the person that I was before. And that fear of failure that I mentioned um, just a, a little bit before was something that was kind of rooted in comparing myself to the surfer I was before and that person, because, you know, if I couldn't get back to surfing or, you know, surfing at a good level, then, then who was I like, could I, be a surf coach if I couldn't surf well? Like, could I do all these things and live this life that I was living if I couldn't back it up with that tangible proof of being a good surfer? It's something I'd hung my hat on for so many years. So I really needed to separate myself from that and focus on really what I could do. Because as I was going through my recovery, there are a couple of things that kind of kept me going. Like it was that support that I mentioned before and those people around me that were really helping me get through just on an individual basis. But then there was kind of looking at the other things that I could do in my life and started off just as the rehab side of things. Like being in the gym is something I'd never really done massively before, but it was actually something I enjoyed doing. Um, it was something that I really liked because it was very different to surfing where surfing, it's kind of like you need all these different factors to combine where you can actually get better. The gym, I found out you can go there and you can work hard and you actually get the results from working hard. It doesn't rely on anything else, but what you put into it. And that was something that was so different to surfing. And it, it definitely helped me through my recovery because it meant I spent more time in the gym and I enjoyed being there. It gave, you, there a source other, of, it gave you a sense of control as well, definitely. right? Like your destiny is in your hands to a degree. Exactly. And that was kind of the tangible thing that was helping me through my recovery. But then also outside of that, there were other things that I, I took up to kind of take my mind off the entire recovery. And a big one of those for me was golf. Again, completely different sport to surfing. Yeah, it's an individual sport, but whereas surfing, there's no particular right way to surf or, you know, surf a wave or draw your lines on a wave. Golf, there's a very specific way to make a swing for the ball to go straight. And going through the process of learning how to swing a golf club. And it was really the only thing I could do where it wasn't too taxing on, on my body was great. And then being able to walk around the golf course again was obviously a good thing for my leg and getting some weight through it and starting to build some strength in that way. So there were these little things that I could do it was basically not focusing on what I couldn't do in the surfing. It was focusing on what I could do in other parts of my life that would not only help me you know get fitter and stronger which would help me get to that goal of surfing again but kind of took my mind off the fact that i couldn't control this thing of being able to get back in the water and you know that extended to other parts of my life as well in a much healthier way like i became a lot closer with my friends and my family and and the people around me because i started having time 
Like rather than having to drop everything to go surfing, I could actually spend time with these people and develop those relationships. And you know, a lot of people ask, like, what's one of the biggest ways you've changed in between, you know, the person you were before and the person you are now? And uh, the the one that I think is the funniest that I always use and is as an example is I can travel to places now that don't have surf. Like for for me, for my entire life, I would always, if I was going on holidays or going anywhere, it would that have to be waves. Like I could have to be near a coastline. Like I, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. The first trip I did after the attack was to go to the South of France for my sister's wedding. And I got to this place, like I wasn't that thrilled on going there in the first place, but then I was like, this is amazing. There's culture, there's mountains, there's all these things that I never would have experienced if I was so fixated on only going to places with waves. And because I wasn't, I didn't have this thought process of, I can't wait to get through this week so then I can go home and surf or go somewhere else and surf. I actually enjoyed it. So on a tangible level, like that opened up so much more of the world to me. Like there's so many other things you can see when you're not just restricted to the coastline. I I relate to that. So I, I I mean, I have friends that are Ironmen uh, as an uh, endurance runner. I typically will center family holidays and within that they'll always be an ultra. And you know, I'm going back to the US, going back home in May, and I was going to do an ultra there, which I may not do. And just the thought of not doing it has opened up and broadened like my mind set on what we're going to do when we're there. Because I think as much as, you know, you think you can have a holiday whilst doing something competitive, you can't because you're kind of gearing for it. You're training for it. If you're a hyper-focused person, you're going to be focused on your performance and it's not really a holiday. And so that's a really interesting point because I've had a lot of conversations with Ironmen, particularly ones that have families that center their holidays around an event. But I think you bring up a really interesting and good point. I think for hyper-focused people and people that are switched on, particularly with their craft or their sport, it's not going to be a holiday. (laughs) It's, you know, like you're not going to, because you're going to be focused, especially something like running or Ironman, your diet, your nutrition, your lead up. And I'm sure you have your processes with your surfing as well. So I think that's an interesting point. So you're, you're now, we're in 2022. So this is six years ago. What's your relationship to water to surfing now it's uh it's definitely different to what it was before like uh, an interesting part of that was i suppose the process of getting back in the water and surfing again it took me five months of you know that intense rehab before i was able to actually get back in the water and that was just on a long board like not on the board that you see behind me here it wasn't you know the, the surfing that I was doing wasn't anything special, but it was just getting back in the water. And then there was the process of trying to improve that surfing to try and get back to a, a level that you know I might've been at before. And as I was kind of going through that process, I kind of realized that there was, you know, surfing whilst it is a very important part of my life and it's something I do every single day. It's something that I think about all the time. I still enjoy competing. I, I still enjoy so many other parts of, of surfing but it just holds a little bit of a, a different place in my life now. Um, I surf for enjoyment a lot more than than I did before. Whereas before, I'd be forcing myself to go and surf, you know, one foot dribble, and 
you know, maybe not enjoying it, maybe getting frustrated. Now when I surf, I can, I can truly enjoy it more. Like I can ride different boards. I don't have to always ride a high performance board and be surfing my best. Although I do go through phases where I want to surf good and, you know, I might, you know, knuckle down for a couple of weeks and, and try and surf every day just to kind of prove myself that I can still do it. But a big thing that happens is you realize that, you know, you're, you're not the surfer that you were before. Like for me, going through improving and, and still being like, I, I still say that I surf very well. Like I, I still am you know, a, a competent surfer and probably, you know, if you look at competitive surfing, would surf competitively better now than what I did before because of the way that my surfing has changed. But because of all the other things in life that have kind of evolved as a result of the attack and the way in which I value different things now has just changed my focus. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having more than one focus, but a big thing that I learned along the way was having a story to share and something that I can do that is completely different to what I did before, you know, sharing, it didn't take long for me to realize that I wanted to kind of share my story to help other people. You know, the first time I was actually just asked to go and tell my story chronologically was just at a, a high school. Uh, and I, didn't know what I was doing. Like I've always been a, a shy person talking in front of groups or in front of camera or anything like that. And I was terrified and just went and told my story chronologically. And one of the teachers came up to me after that session. He's like, I haven't seen those kids sit still for five minutes before. They just sat still for 45 minutes the entire time you're talking. That feeling of being able to have an impact on someone's life is something that made me take a step back again and, and say, well, what actually means a lot to me? You know, what am I going to be happier looking back at my life in, you know, 40 years time saying, you know, I kept chasing that, you know, path of becoming a professional surfer. And whilst that was a, a good time and I enjoyed doing it, what can I say I actually left behind? And looking at my life in that way, it made it pretty easy to say that, you know, things are going to change. And, you know, the the life that I live now, it is there's a lot of similarities, but just the overall purpose and the overall meaning is a lot different to what it was before. And that's something that, you know, it's a change for, for the good for me. You know, it's only added to the life that I was living before. And, and that's something that, you know, I wake up every morning and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for what I get to do. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. So you've kind of, your life looks the same and you, it, there may be this similar features to what it was before, but your guiding force more depth and and more width so let's talk about your habits so i think in many ways your recovery and the process that you had to endure to recover would be very insightful to people that have these new year's resolutions that um you know i've got my views on new year's resolutions but i think it would be interesting for our audience as to what your habits were, particularly when you were recovering, because I know you would have been in a place where you weren't necessarily feeling like you wanted to do stuff. Your body may not have allowed you to do things the way that you could have before, but you would have had to become completely involved in the process versus what you felt or thought. So I think that could be very insightful for people that are looking to shift from where they're where they are currently. What were some of the things that grounded you in terms of habits? 
it really comes down to like, for me, it's kind of the philosophy of, you know, being better each day. There's a conversation I had with um, someone else that was going through a serious injury at the same time as I was. And um, he gave me a bit of advice, which is to not compare yourself to the person that you were before. But if you have a goal, it's saying, what can I do every day to try and achieve that? They don't have to be enormous leaps, but it's just the small things to try and get better every single day. And that was something that really rang true to me, especially in those early days of recovery saying, well, I'm not going to be the surfer that I was before straight away. Like that's going to take some time, but what can I do today and tomorrow to work towards that? And that really added to kind of the way that I, I look at a lot of these things and has definitely changed the way I live, live my life now. Like uh, getting through that recovery to the point of surfing again was something that, you know, when I did look back on it, I realized that having something in the future or having these goals, and for a lot of people, this is probably where resolutions come in. Like they might have a, a goal, whatever it is. And a lot of people lose sight of it. And fair enough. Like everyone's life changes. Whatever someone's goal is, is, is fine. And, you know, some people stick to them, some people don't. But for me, it was having something that I really wanted to work on, having something that I really wanted to achieve. And for me, since that, it, it's been, you know, probably doing more endurance things for my body. And it went from one of my mates who asked me to do the Oxfam hundred K walk. And that's something that I probably shouldn't have been able to do, but I was like, I'd like the idea of being able to train for something and being able to do that. And then it was, um, running a marathon, which I ran my first marathon a couple of months ago, um, to next year or this year, I keep getting the years mixed up. Um, I'll be paddling the Molokai, which is a 52 K open ocean paddle between two islands in Hawaii having these big challenges that I want to go towards has been something that drives me and something that I can keep in the future and something that you can probably relate to as well. You know, if you've got a, an event or a race or a distance that you want to try and achieve. But for me, it was about the way that I looked at these goals and paired with that advice that I got before, which is trying to be better every single day, because whether you achieve that goal or not is irrelevant in, in my view. Like if you achieve it, that's, awesome like you can be so proud and so happy but if you don't achieve it as long as you've put in everything that you know you can do to get to that point if you've done everything you can do to be better each day and you haven't done it then you you can't be ashamed of not achieving it like pride lives in the process there of doing everything you can do every single day and that for me has been one of the things just in the way i look at a lot of things i do in life and kind of breaking it down day by day because you know these big you know, sweeping changes that people might want to make in their life. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens with every single step that you, you choose to take every single day. And I, I guess that would probably, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see what that actually, how, how you look at that, you know, cause I know for myself, when I was going through the whole marathon running thing, like I found that a really big challenge, but running was a big thing where I was like, okay, I can do something every day to help me get to that goal. And, uh, yeah, is that something that you? Yeah, do yeah, I think I. Yeah, look, I think you're one hundred percent right. I think the you set yourself a crucible, and the process will transform you. And it's as simple as that. And I think you gotta you gotta be in love with the slog, you know, because that's where the evolution will happen, not in the goal itself, and as an athlete or endurance athlete or whatever. The actual race is the easiest piece. It's the, the months of suffering, the months of sacrifice, the months of coordinating different 
things required to live life but train effectively and and you're 100 right it's the process which is transformative not the outcome and i think that's actually to really embrace that and know that truly in your heart and walk that is a competitive advantage not everyone some people understand that conceptually but they can't actually walk that like you know people see these fancy quotes about love the process and rah 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 but you know people can quote that but you know, it's Anthony Trucks, a former guest on this show said, it's like what you do in the dark is what counts. Yeah. When yeah, no one's what, looking. When no one's know? looking, right? Yeah. 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 It's that shit, dude. And that's yeah. the process. It is. Like, I, I find the, the idea of the process like a pretty interesting thing because it's become like almost a part of like popular culture of people saying, you know, trust the process and enjoy the process. Like the process itself is just the framework that allows you to get from A to B. Like the hard work that goes into following that process is what a lot of people I think skip over. Yes, 100%. And that's where, you know, identity, how you see yourself, habits, those are the things that drive us. Because, I mean, I, I, I know that an individual's habits and what they do will serve their identity. Hence why resolutions don't work because a person doesn't see themselves yet in a way that will sustain those new behaviors. So, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting piece. So I think what we'll do is we'll wrap it up there, Brett. I know you've got a uh, trailer out. What's going on? Where can our audience learn more about you, bro? Yeah, I suppose like I said, using my story to help other people kind of led to what you do with that. Everyone said, write a book, but I said, I'll do a documentary instead. Um, so I'd, I've been working on this for probably the last 18 months and we've still got another, you know, probably 10 months of going into it before it can be released. Um, the documentary is called Pyrophytic Film. Um, a lot of people get a little bit hung up on the name, but uh, a pyrophyte is a species of plant um, that we have pretty commonly in Australia that requires fire in order to germinate and regrow. So pretty apt for uh, my story when when you dig into it and for a lot of people as well. But that'll just be documenting the attack through other people's perspective as well as my own because one thing I realised about my story is there's some parts of it that aren't mine to tell. So having those different perspectives is going to be a great way to tie everything together. We're going to go through the recovery, but then we're going to go through the process of, of paddling the Molokai, which is um, in July this year. So um, you can follow that on social media. You can check out the trailer on, on YouTube. But um, yeah, that we're looking to release late 2022. So really, really looking forward to getting that you know in, in front of people and kind of seeing everything come together. It's been a, an amazing process getting this to the point it is and i think it's still a little way to go but it's it's awesome to be able to work on and share my story in that sort of format well man look we are going to let you get to the surf it looks like it's going to be a nice day out there but uh again want to thank you for your time brett thank you so much for being a guest on our show today man no thanks so much for having me and um yeah really really love what you do and and yeah stoked to be a part of it man thanks brother thank you